hey, weirdlings, Tori here. Just wanted to pop in and tell you guys a little bit about the Bark Box Super Chewer Box. With two Super Chewers in my house, I've spent hundreds of dollars trying out all kinds of, quote, indestructible toys, all of which were destructed in mere minutes of meeting my dogs. Emily had suggested BarkBox to me, but I thought there was no way that these toys were going to hold up to my dogs. But then she told me about the Super Chewer box, so we decided to try it. Even with the Super Chewer box, though, my dog Hodor had destroyed one of the toys, though it did take him longer than normal. Emily suggested I reach out to BarkBox, and I'm so glad that I did. Their amazing customer service listened to my concerns and helped me customize the type of toys and treats that I receive, and it's been smooth sailing ever since. But Super Chewer isn't just toys. You get treats and chews in every box, and you can buy extra toys and treats from their website. My dogs are like my kids, and it's Christmas every month when that Bark Box arrives. If you follow the link in our show notes, you'll get double your first box. If you have a Super Chewer, this is the box for you, and your pup will thank you. Hello and welcome. Thank you. What the fuck? We'll just restart that. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Threes a Crime, a true crime podcast. I'm Tori. I'm Emily. And I'm Lindsay. And that's our intro. Here we are. We are professional. Professional podcasters. We're podcasters, bitches. We have, okay, it's it's small right now, but we're, gr- we're waiting to put new things out till we get to test them and make sure they're all good. So yes. the things that are on the website, things that we've already tried. Um, and stickers are also available yeah. and yes. frequently getting added to. So there's two links. There is one for our Shopify that has all the merch and then one for our stickers on Etsy. They're both on Linktree. And... I'm asking my young cousins what is cute and what's not, so no one has any ratchet, raggedy ass. We can't have any mid. My God, but my God, if you look and there's something that you want that you don't see, let us know because we can look into it. Because, like I said, I texted you guys earlier today, and I have an interesting and weird fact about this story for each of us. For each of you, whoa! So we're gonna get into it. So today. Welcome, bitches. Welcome. Tori Lynn Spears is telling a story today. Yeah. It's been a hot minute, and I'm I'm sorry about that. I am feeling a lot better now. So, anyway, today we are going to talk about John List, the boogeyman of Westfield. Oh. So, um, in our last episode, Lindsay told us about the Watcher House. Lindsay Ooh. and Damon. Lindsay and yes. Damon, our special guest. All right. So, last week, Lindsay told us the story about the Brodises at 657. Six, oh, it's Boulevard. 657 Boulevard. Boulevard. 
in uh, in Westfield, New Jersey. Wait, the story starts here? Oh, yeah. If you've watched The Watcher. Which I have watched since um, then. You have? I have. So do you remember the character in the in that show named John Graff that shows up? Mm-hmm. Is he the guy that shows up but, like, doesn't exist? Well, I shouldn't spoil it. For oh, I don't. Not you. For he, he shows up and he he's uh, eating out of the enough. fridge. Yes. And yes. Then the husband assumes he's the building inspector. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So that character of John Graff was based on the man that we're going to talk about today, John List. So the story in the town might sound a little bit familiar, but we're going to talk about the real guy because John Griff Graff was just based on him. Now, in the show. John Graff was a previous owner of 657 oh, Boulevard, okay. which is how they tie him into okay. the story. I gave up on that show, so I Yeah, I only Did watched you? The I first totally five. finished the entire thing. Did you like the was the ending good or No. <laughs> <laughs> the ending was Sorry, um, Ryan Murphy. No. The ending was I mean, there's no answers. Right. So like how are you gonna it end it in just a way that bunch of shit thrown out? It was out, like, like you think did you guys ever watch Pretty Little Liars? Yeah. I do. Do you not. remember how like at the end of like every episode you'd like know who A was and then it would like actually be wrong and it would explain it in the next episode and that just happened for like twenty seven seasons? That's kind <laughs> yeah. of how it ended. It's like Gossip Girl in the beginning. Yeah, right? like then he talks yeah. to a guy and he's like, Oh my god, I've solved it, like this is it and then They'll be like, oh, but there's this one thing. And so they'll go, like, check on that. And turns out that story is completely unraveled. And so it, like, kind of goes through all the theories, I guess. But it just kind of seemed very, like... Does it just fall And it just makes it seem like the de- the father definitely had something to do with it. Oh. Because he wrote the one letter and, like, right. admitted to it. And, like, oh, yeah, that yeah, definitely yeah. didn't make him look good in the show. I mean, it didn't make him look good in real life. It didn't. No, either, it didn't. You know? And, I mean, I totally understand why he did it. Yeah, but... can you imagine their mental state? No. I feel like, no. oh. No, I couldn't. Um, but, anyway, so, in real life, um, the List family never lived in... Right. It lived yeah. in that house. No. Um... They actually lived a few blocks away. It's like a 10-minute walk. Oh, wow. Um, in a 19-room Victorian mansion named Breeze Knoll. So their address was 431 Hillside Avenue. Oh, my God. If your house has, like, a title name. Yeah. yeah. What a fancy yeah. fucking house you live oh, in. Oh, yeah. Holy yeah, shit. yeah, yeah. Um, it, and the events that took place in this house happened more than 40 years or around 40 years before um the watcher before the watcher situation happened so if you have not seen the watcher or you didn't hear Lindsay's story last week or you did and if you did or you did uh yeah go back and listen to to that one first but uh otherwise buckle in because this one too is it's a wild ride Mm -hmm. it is a wild ride um now, in the late 1960s and early 70s, which is when our story takes place, from the outside, the List family looked like the model family, right? Mm-hmm. You got mom, you got dad, three beautiful teenage kids, and grandma living up on the third floor. Oh, fuck grandma. I forgot Oh, that. grandma. So they were the idyllic family living in the idyllic house, in the idyllic neighborhood. As we all know... 
things are not always, always as they seem. That's right. Oh. So we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about the family. So we're going to talk about dad first. So this is John. John Amel list, oh, um, wow. but it's spelled E-M-I-L. So when I saw that, I texted Emily and I was like, oh my God, Emily, you're never going to believe the middle she's name like, of She's like, guess guy. what their middle is, middle name is. It's Me and Lindsay both guessed and she's like, it's a meal. But it, it was, <laughs> but it's pronounced Amel. So John was born in Bay City, Michigan on September 17th, 1925. He was the only child of John Frederick List and Alma Barbara Florence List. Oh. His parents were German American and devout Lutherans. They were also cousins. Oof. Now, in doing research for this, the speculation that I was reading was that they were part of a really small insular um, I think the word German... you're looking for is incestual. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you know, a very small German community. I mean, because they were German that and had come to America, right? Uh, yeah. So they, you know, everybody lives in little pockets, and they were in their own little pocket, and so... I With each know. other. And... True. And I heard, and I, I was reading various things, so I'm not sure how closely related, but I, it, it appears that they may have been first cousins. Oh, boy. Um, first cousins. That's rough. Possibly. That's I, just I your cousin, right? Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, like that's straight like, bloodline. Yeah. The the royal family has been doing this shit for years. I was going to say royal. Don't make it right, but House just of the Dragon. I mean, <laughs> everybody's yeah. fucking their Man, House of the Dragon. cousins. <sighs> Great show. Very good. Very good Great show. show. As a child, it was said he was shy and odd. Both of his parents being devout Lutherans meant a very strict upbringing for John. His relationship with his father was described as cold and joyless. Oh, that's great. Um, And he, he was the really religiously strict one with John. Um, mm. His mother, Alma, was very overprotective and domineering. She wouldn't let him go outside and play with other children for the fear that he would get sick. Oh, um, no. He wasn't allowed to play with anybody that she felt was beneath them. Oh, no. Um, definitely not allowed to be around girls oh, or yeah. listen to music that might lead him into, you know. Sinning. Yeah. I mean, it was a no very. No sins. Yes. Yeah. So he spent a lot of his time sitting by the fire with mother, oh, reading with from the mother. Bible. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Anybody else getting Mama Yoon vibes? Oh, oh, that's right? exactly yeah, what yeah, I yeah. thought, right? actually. Like, I've been waiting for like the mom thing with this yes. guy. Also, and I mean, he did call her mother. Mother. So there is oh, a mother, mother in this story. Mother. So um, later in life, John expressed some resentment to the way that he was raised by his parents. Really? But their relationship, the way that they raised him, 
is something that he would later mirror in his relationship with his children. Of course. So it's kind of ironic. You that, always yeah. repeat the cycles. Of- yeah, exactly. So John, uh, John graduated high school in 1943 and listed in the army the same year. He, he actually served in World War II. Ah. He was discharged from the army in 1946 and, uh, attended the University of Michigan, where he got his bachelor's degree in business administration and a master's degree in accounting. Wow. Um, He was also part of the ROTC while he was there and commissioned as a second lieutenant. What is ROTC? It's like... Because, like, teenagers do it, right? It's like National Guard, I think, for, like, college kids. Oh, okay. I have no idea. I mean, it's a bit... I don't either, because... (laughs) (laughs) when i first went to college like we didn't get to pick our classes they like did your first semester because it's you were just doing all gen ed stuff so they just kind of picked your classes for you and one of my classes was rotc and so i was like fuck that That is so weird and i I never went i never showed up i never dropped it which is why i think i still have that like anxiety dream where it's like the end of the year because i i didn't because somebody was like oh if you don't go the first couple times they'll automatically drop you and i think i was like okay cool and then it got to the end of the year and i was like what or the end of the semester and i was like what if they didn't drop me i'm gonna have this like because like there was no way no and that's like when i was in my big like hippie phase so like yeah i was gonna show up to rotc in my patchwork pants and my dread in my hair Oh, like, no. not what did you have just one dread? I had to just uh. one dread. Oh, ROTC? What did it? Oh, the Reserve Officers Training Corps. It yeah. is a college program offered in more than 1,700 colleges and universities across the U.S. that prepares young adults to become officers in the U.S. military. No, thank you. Okay, so in November of 1950, he was recalled to active military duty because it was during the Korean War. Um, And he was stationed in Fort Eustis uh, in Virginia. And it was there that he met me. It was there he met a widow by the name of Helen Morris Taylor. Are you into super chill vibes? Maybe Netflixing on the couch with a cup of tea is your favorite evening activity. If you're looking for some extra, extra chill vibes, Hemp Teelicious is for you. Made with organically grown industrial hemp, Hemp Teelicious teas contain a full spectrum of natural plant terpenes to help you feel your best. They use the highest quality whole plant ingredients grown with love so you can feel good about buying products sourced and packaged locally with cruelty-free plant-based ingredients. Each tea bag contains 30% pure hemp. The flavor is reminiscent of an earthy green tea and offers just the right balance of flavor for a grounding, soothing element to your favorite flavors. Hemp Delicious has six flavors to choose from, like apple hibiscus, spearmint lemongrass, chamomile lavender, and right now, they're buy three, get one free. Follow the link in our show notes to get your hands on the chillest tea on the market. Her husband had been killed in action in Korea, and she had a young daughter named Brenda. Oh, Brenda. Brenda. John and Helen married on December 1st, 1954. And John ended up adopting Brenda. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, so the family uh, got relocated to Northern California. He, the military was like, oh, you've got accounting skills. Let's put you in. I forget what the job was, but he got something like that. Okay. Um, he finished his second tour in 1952. And then the family relocated to Michigan, which is where... Uh, John and Helen's three children, Patricia, John Frederick, or John Jr., and uh, their youngest son, Frederick, were born. 
1959, he had risen to the general supervisor of the company that he was working for, their accounting department. Um, by 1960, Brenda married and left the household. Um, and so the Liss family then moved to Rochester, New York. John took a job with Xerox and eventually became the director of accounting services. Then in 1965, John reached a high point in his career when he became the vice president and comptroller, which I found out a comptroller is basically just somebody who's in charge of accounting, um, <laughs> oh, okay. of a bank in Jersey City, New Jersey. At least tell me that you get the reference. Jersey Shore. Okay. The Jersey Shore. I'll just, see nope. myself. No. All right. well, I'll just go fuck myself. Um, the best. <laughs> and the family once again relocated, this time to the coveted town of Westfield, New Jersey. It was apparently Helen who insisted on the purchase of mm. Breeze Knoll. Apparently, it wasn't quite in their budget, but instead of arguing the point with Helen, he went to his mother, Alma, to ask for a loan. Oh, God. Oh, in return for her God. investment in the home, she would live in her own mother-in-law or mother-in-law, yeah, mother, mother suite um, up on the third attic floor. He purchased the house for $50,000. God damn. Man. And that would be equivalent to like three hundred fifty, four hundred thousand dollars. dollars I wonder how much today. it's worth now there. Now... I just read you all these things, you know, John was here and then they relocated. I mean, he had high profile jobs. So it sounds like he was steadily moving up in his career when you read it on paper. But in actuality, was he like a prideful loser who literally had to go get money? Go get body from his mom. What? I don't know what. Just, I'm sorry. I'm only just doing a stroke on air. I just watched that whole thing on her face. Now, no what? Like I don't know. One word came out weird, and then I just went with it. Oh my god! It sounds like on paper, like he was moving steadily, moving up in his career, but in actuality, he kept getting fired. He had very few. What? I knew it! I was gonna say that he's a little bitch who has to borrow money from his mom because he's too proud to just tell his wife he doesn't have enough. And tell her that he doesn't have a job. Anyway. (laughs) I'm always yelling from the toilet at this moment. So, uh, John John was described by people who knew him as aloof, being cold. Yeah. Um... Now, his work was apparently impeccable. He was diligent and focused, but he he completely lacked, like, any real social skills. Okay. Um, and I think that that was partly due to the fact of how he was raised. I mean, he wasn't allowed to interact with other children. Yeah. Most of the people that he, he interacted with were, you know, friends day. of his parents, and everybody yeah. was strict, and he was mainly dealing with adults. So he just... He, con- he continued to lose jobs because... His demeanor was so off-putting. And it wasn't like anybody could put their finger on it. They just yeah. didn't like working with him. Yeah. Um, I can imagine. So uh, in my research, I started listening to the first few episodes of an amazing podcast called Father Wants Us Dead. Um, with hosts Rebecca Ooh, Everett about, like, and, and Jessica Remo. No, it is all about the John List case. The whole oh, season shit. is just about this case. So I, if you guys listen to this story and you find it interesting, I highly, highly, highly recommend 
going and listening to their podcast because it's going to get into the nitty gritty. I mean, they tracked down people 40 years later who were, I mean, some were willing to talk, some weren't, but like family members and neighbors and people involved with the cases. That's crazy. I listened to the first two episodes and I had to turn it off. Because I was like, I don't want to steal their research. Yeah. Because it's so much work. And they are investigative journalists. They work for, um, I think, NewJersey.com. Oh, um, okay. And so I actually referenced quite a few of their articles that, that were written kind of about the podcast. Um, but I was just like, I want to be really careful because it was it was so much information about the real people. A lot of times when we're researching, you know, we're reading magazine articles or newspaper mm-hmm. articles and so you get the story, but you don't get the story behind the story as much. Yeah, you don't get much. the details unless um, you're reading a like a, a book that a, they wrote about themselves or like whatever. Right, exactly. But I am going to tell one quick story that I heard on the podcast. I also read it in in an article that that they wrote. So, but I am going to I am going to tell this one because I, I thought it was just such a good way of summing up kind of who John I was. Going to say summing him up. So apparently. When the List family moved in, one of the neighbors went to a local shop and got a pie to welcome them to the neighborhood. Now, I don't recall the name of the shop, but they say that at this time in that area, getting a pie from this particular shop was like the thing that you would get to welcome somebody into the neighborhood. So this guy goes over with his son and it's his son that's telling the story. Um, and they go over to give him the pie and introduce themselves and welcome them to the neighborhood. And they're met with a pretty brusque, uh, yeah, you know what? We don't socialize. We keep to ourselves. Thanks. Bye. Oh, And, no. you know, slam the door. But he took the pie. Oh. <laughs> right? Oh. Um, and so yeah. they were just like, well, um, okay. Rude. And, uh, you know, he, he was, I really think the whole... You know, stereotype of the like, get off my lawn guy yeah. is based on John Liss because he literally was that guy. And the kid was, well, he's a man now, but he was talking about his kids. Sometimes they would literally like dr- ride their bikes through his yard just to drive them nuts. <laughs> oh my God. Because he would come amazing. out and he would come out screaming at the kids to get off his lawn. Sometimes he would throw gravel at them. Oh my God. Aggressive, yes. sir. And one of, the, dick. one of the things that people around town, like, and one of the reasons kind of why they were like, this dude is odd, when he would mow their lawn, he would always do it in a suit and tie. Oh. I'm here oh for that. Boy. <laughs> like, I love Even when he was, so like, extra. putzing around, you know, the yard, <laughs> he's, like, in full dress. And, and I think it really shows that, you know, no matter... <laughs> When it was like, are everything. Yeah, there was never a moment when he wasn't trying to protect or, or project an image. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about Helen. So Helen's mom. Yeah. Um, Helen was born Helen Morris to Edward Guy Morris and Eve Bell Morris on January 1st, 1924. She's a little New Year's baby. Oh. Uh, she was born in Guilford County, North Carolina. Uh, as I said before, she had originally been married to a man named Marvin Everett Taylor, and they had their daughter Brenda together. Uh, he was killed in action, and then she met John. So about a month into dating, Helen had told John that she was pregnant. Now, his strict religious upbringing had not kept him from having premarital sex with her. Of course not. But it did mean to him that they had to get married. 
Well, I mean, yeah, I feel like that's pretty valid for any in that time. Well, in that time period, yes. Like you like, have, if you've knocked somebody up, you got to get married. Any upstanding, yeah, moral, much more, you know, like John believed himself to be, they're going to get married. Um, now, when once the wedding plans were finalized. Helen apparently disclosed that she was not pregnant. Now, it is <laughs> it is unclear it is it a... is unclear if she lied or if she had had a miscarriage. So, okay. we're going to get to this in a minute, but she had several she had suffered several miscarriages in her oh, first marriage okay. and um she had a few in her marriage to him. So, that. it is possible that she had lost the baby, but or she may have lied. We don't know. Either way, John felt like he had been tricked into the marriage. Um, But at this point, wedding plans were set. Divorce, not an option. Can't be doing that. Um, So they got married and they remained marriage. But. They remained marriage. what? Remained marriage. Remained marriage? (laughs) Did I say like three times? You did. You're like, remained marriage. What the fuck's wrong with you? Stare right. at me like I'm. So no, it wasn't. It wasn't even. No, no. I know. It wasn't I know. even that I was looking at you that way. I was like, wait, what is you happening? You were processing it. I was definitely yeah. processing it. That was really um, funny. Yeah. Wait, what? Uh, yeah. They <laughs> remained married. Sorry, my brain was already on the next sentence, which is that wasn't the only big secret that Helen brought into the marriage. Helen had contract. Did syphilis oh. from her first husband. Ooh, and that'll kill you. Fucking health, Marvin, you dick. Her health had already begun to deteriorate when she and John were married because of this. Oh, no. She, this was the cause of the several miscarriages she had in her first oh. marriage. And apparently she had had two more before giving birth to daughter Patricia. Um, as time went on, she was having blackouts. She was falling down. Now, Helen was also an alcoholic and addicted to barbiturates. So Hot damn. I don't think so that that's... that helped with the blackouts and the falling and all of that. But And the miscarriage. That will definitely yeah. contribute. Um, That'll get you. She had also lost the vision in one of her eyes. Now... Mo- like several of the articles I read made it sound like the syphilis was the reason that she had lost the vision. But then I read there was another one that said, um, I think when she was giving birth to either Brenda or Patricia, um, that there was an accident and the the hospital staff got ether in her eye. Oh, my God. Um, and Jesus. so that's what damaged her eye. But she had been, quote, treated for the syphilis in the 40s. Penicillin would have cleared that shit right up. But in the 1940s, and I this is insane to think about with how prevalent, I mean, yeah. penicillin is now, but in the 1940s, it was still an experimental drug. Yeah. And not only that, it was in short supply because of World War II. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Everything was fucked. The treatment for syphilis at that time was to inject the malaria virus into the patient under the belief that the malaria would kill the syphilis. No. Oh, no. Um, this is like leeches. Yeah, I don't know. Spoiler alert, uh, it didn't, or at least it didn't work for Helen. And her health deteriorated so badly that by the end of the 1960s, she could barely walk. 
Holy she fuck, was erratic. Well, no wonder she's probably addicted to. Oh yeah, and she's probably in pain. Yeah, and, she's just trying to live the life. You know, she was erratic. She would have outbursts. I mean, she the syphilis was literally eating her brain. Jesus um, man, syphilis problem, is insane. It, it it really is, I and mean, that's what killed Al Capone. So she was often erratic, and because she had been hiding the syphilis diagnosis, or oh, yeah. she may have thought that she was cured. That's true. You know, she may have have thought, well, I got treated for this in the 40s, not realizing that, you know. And, you know, not a lot of people are telling each other their... Because she was hiding the diagnosis or thinking that she had been cured, um, her doctors misdiagnosed her with being a latent schizophrenic. Oh, God. Oh, my. It wasn't until a hospital stay in 1969 that she was correctly diagnosed, and John learned that Helen was dying of syphilis. My God. Jesus. And at this point, the damage was done. Like, there was no... Well, yeah. Like, there wasn't anything they could do for her. Like, there's no coming back. She was just... Yeah. Now... After she was diagnosed, I think doctors did suggest that John get tested. He did not have syphilis. So apparently it can go, like, even though it was destroying her brain, it can go, like, dormant in your body so you're not passing it or something. I don't know. I didn't really understand. Wow. I it. But um, so don't rely on that information. I found it on the <laughs> internet. Yeah. Um, so like I said. She was an alcoholic. She was addicted to pills. um, And she seemed to be the one who was the main contributor to the list living beyond their means. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't think. I mean, I think John wanted to project a certain image, but I I think she was a little bit more materialistic than he was. When I was trying to find, like, information about her, man. It was, it was conflicting. Hard. It was just, it was conflicting. And I, I'm excited to mm. listen to the rest of that podcast because I think anything? not in the episodes that I had listened to, but I mean, when they were living in Michigan, there was a former um, neighbor who didn't like Helen and she was, you know, I read something I mean, where she like, she thought she was rude and didn't think that she was a very good mother. Like she's like, the children would always be dressed in like the nicest things and the, the playpen that the kids had were easily, you know, hundreds of dollars. But, like, she'd put the playpen outside, put the babies in the playpen, and then just... And just leave them. And then just leave. <laughs> like me as a mom, honestly. Yeah, I mean, you know. Also, there was another article that talked about how, like, she just wasn't really interested in taking care of the children. Like, if, if one mean, of the kids had a dirty diaper... She would call John and be like, the kid has a dirty diaper. Of course. If you want the kid clean, you better come home and take care of it. And he would. Ah! And oh, my he would. God. Well, I mean, no wonder and, but, that but it was like on to him getting fired. Well, I, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> no but kidding. I think it was more. But basically, it was like people knew that that's how she was. And he was more concerned with people. Like, thinking that his child had soiled themselves and nobody was cleaning them up. Yeah. Um, he was so active in the church. And when they were in Michigan, oh, yeah. she had stopped going. And one of the articles I read was, like, you know, the pastor at that church was like, we tried so hard to get her involved and she just wouldn't. And, you know, and so it, everything that was kind of condemning her was like, everybody knew. Like, yeah, she wasn't a very good mother and everybody knew it. She wasn't coming to church and everybody knew it. And so like that, I think that is what really bothered him the most. Um, 
But then other people said, you know, that she was really a very kind and supportive mother to her children. And, you know, but one thing that does seem to be consistent is in 1971, she pretty much hated John. Like, they pretty much hated each other at this point. No, she liked anybody. They had been, you know, they had been married for almost 20 years at that point. Jesus. Now we talk about Alma. Grandma. Grandma. I'm scared to hear about her. Well, I mean, you know, again, she... This is kind of a a reiteration of what we already talked about in the fact that she was a very devout Lutheran, doted on him as a child, Mm. overprotective, overbearing, very domineering. He wasn't allowed to get messy. You know, he needed to be the quiet and dutiful and God-fearing son. And, I mean, she did loan the money for the down payment on Breeze Knoll, but the the condition was that she was going to live there. Now, she and Helen did not. I was going to say get along oh god that's how it happens and here's the thing like helen really didn't want alma moving in but she wanted the house more yeah she wanted the house it was willing he was willing to deal with alma up on the third floor as long as she got it about before you get married rule number one yeah money sex and in-laws yes (laughs) i'm not even fucking don't get along with your in-laws or their best friends So Alma moved in. Oh, Alma. (laughs) Now, even though she was on another floor, she apparently later regretted it. Like, regretted that she had made this condition of moving in there because I I don't think she was happy living. Well, I mean, you're living with a scary, drunken, angry woman who hates you. Well, and and the thing is, I mean, Alma wasn't, I think that, I think he, I think there were two strong-willed women in the house one yeah. who hated him and one who, who adored him, and adored him, but also and... ruled him. Yeah. Also, such a red flag. Like, yeah, obsessed with your mother. Like, yeah, and go watch not, Smothered yeah. on TLC. Yes, yeah. anything on TLC God, is fire. It's yeah. wonderful. Now we're going to talk about Brenda. So Brenda was the daughter from Helen's first marriage. Like I said, she was about ten when Helen and John married, and after John adopted her, he did he. She says he did attempt to treat her like one of his own. She had a lot of fond memories of him as a child, like them going to like the zoo or different places. And apparently the marriage between John and Helen in the early years really was a happy one. They were affectionate. I mean, yeah, they, they would they hold hands and, and moon phase. Um, but she did tell, but she, there was a story about how at some point when she was a little bit older, um, she had been teasing John about his haircut, which was very, you know... <laughs> I need straight, to look, I'm going to look at him up. Very straight laced. Um, and he was getting madder and madder. And she was still teasing, like literally just joking. And he got so mad that he like flipped a table that had dishes like on it. And he pulled she a was Teresa. Like, he was terrified. Yes. He looks like how you, he's described. It. Yeah. He looks just like yeah. glasses, slick back hair. I mean, he's, he's. He's exactly what you think a banker in 1965 would look like. A number person. Yeah. So when she, she was 13 when John and Helen, uh, their oldest child was born. She was elated and she loved the new baby. And the other two followed very shortly thereafter. Um, But as time went on, she said that she felt more like a convenient babysitter. Um, she felt like her mother had started a new family and she wasn't really wanted. Um, Ugh, also, girl. Alma 
wouldn't let her her call her grandma. Even though the other kids could call her grandma, she made Brenda call her mother list. (gasps) Oh my God. How very mommy dearest. Hey, weirdlings. Have you ever listened to a podcast and thought, man, I could do this? Well, guess what? That's exactly what we did. And you can too. Podcasting is a fun, inexpensive, and easy way to expand your reach online. Whether you have a message that you want to share with the world, just think having your own talk show would be cool, or you're looking for a new marketing or revenue stream, Buzzsprout has you covered. We can confirm that they're hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed on all of the major podcast directories within minutes of finishing your recording. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping all of us succeed. Join 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout, and let's get your message out to the world. If you're ready to get started on your podcast, follow the link in our show notes, and you'll get a $20 Amazon gift card, and it helps support our show too. So what are you waiting for? Start your new podcast today. When Brenda was 17... She tried to elope with her boyfriend, but they were denied because she wasn't yet 18. Um, She ended up getting sent home to John and Helen after she and her boyfriend got into an accident on the way home. He had to be taken to the hospital with some injuries. Bummer. Um, John didn't approve of this particular boyfriend. The two lectured her. I mean, even though, well, and that was the thing is that, like, when John adopted her, I mean, like he sat by, with mom and read the Bible. Like he put her into Lutheran training. Um, but as soon as she turned 18, man, she was like, she, well, and she found out that she was pregnant. And so then she was kind of shunned because, you know, but anyway, she got married um, to that boyfriend. And she was like, I'm getting, I'm getting. I mean, I was here, like out of here. 17 when I thought, oh, yeah, I want to get the fuck out of yeah, that house. She too. just wanted, she just wanted out. She yeah. wanted to play house. She said, and she just, you know, she didn't feel wanted. She felt like a baby, you know, yeah, women babysitter. Yeah, babysitter. Um, and so she got out of there. And that decision probably saved her life. I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Patricia, uh, she was 16 in 1971. Uh, she was the eldest of their three together. Um, she was described as a pretty girl. She was definitely more outgoing than her brothers. Um, in school, she had joined the trauma club. And she... The what? The... The drama. It sounded like trauma. It did sound like trauma. <laughs> I was sorry. like, there was a trauma club in the school. Which my no, school. No, I was like, oh. we are the, trauma, the club. trauma club. Yeah, this is the trauma club. <laughs> what a day for a podcast. The right. trauma club. Oh my god! If anyone takes that, I will fucking yeah. sue you. <laughs> um, uh, copyright. Like patent pending. Patent pending. Oh Trademark. my god! The trauma Siege. club. Trauma club. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, no, that she she had joined the drama. Theater. Theater. The theater. So she had joined the theater and theater. she loved it. And from that moment on, she she was just like, I'm going to be an actress. Hell yeah, bitch. This did not make John happy. Of course not. Uh, definitely thought that like her being an actress meant she was going straight to, to hell. Hell. Um, Bloodiness and. Yeah. Well, how funny that you say that. Oh, no. Um, so. Uh, 
as the oldest, and she was a teenager. She was a teenager coming off the summer of love. Vietnam was happening, oh, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, she she once wore a shirt that said "Make Love, Not War," and I oh, guess he like yeah. lost his mind. Uh, but one article I read said that he called her a slut multiple oh, times because of you know her wanting to be an actress, and she had friends and a social life. Um, she was a happy. She just wanted to be happy. She wanted to be, yeah, alive. She wanted to be a teenager in her damn dreams in yeah. 1971. I mean, exactly. And Bummer. so I think that you know, being 16 and and the time period, you know, again, very much in the counterculture revolution. Um, you know, yeah, I can see her being a little rebellious. But from everything that I read, I mean, she was she still like a really great kid. She was a really good kid. Um, but for John. You know, she was, you know, there were friends that she wasn't allowed to see because John deemed them a bad influence. And one time her boyfriend had come over, must have been around dinner time. He made the boyfriend sit in the parlor and wait because he was not allowed to have dinner with the family. (gasps) Oh, that's fucked up, bro. Yeah. Fucking dick. Um, So John Jr., was 15, so he's a year younger than Patricia. Um, he was described as smart, caring, hardworking. He loved riding his bike and playing soccer, and he would volunteer to deliver newspapers to the neighborhood. Um, and according to quite a few of the things that I, I researched and read, John Jr. was kind of the favorite. Favorite? Was he the baby? He was not the baby. He was I'm the sorry. middle child, middle but, child. but he was named after John. Oh. Yeah. Okay, got it. Um, and then Frederick was the youngest. He was just 13. Um, I didn't find anything specific about him other than just that all of the kids went to the local school. Um, they were popular and well-liked. So in 1971, John lost his job at the bank. Being vice president of a bank required a certain level of sociability that John just didn't have. His colleagues described him as a cold individual and, gen- and generally unlikable. Rather than Jesus. tell his family that he lost his job again and admit his failure, he continued to get up, get dressed. I fucking knew it. Leave the house every morning as usual. Um, he'd go to the train station and read and then would just return home at his normal time. Yep. Um... According to Ugh. one, so, uh, oh, actually, it was a few sources. He did find a few lower-paying jobs during this time. Like he wasn't unemployed the whole time, but like he but would he get didn't have the he job would that get he said yeah he, had. he would get a lower-paying job, but then again he would get fired and get fired again and get fired again. In order to keep up appearances at the time, he had been skimming money from his mother's accounts to cover the bills for as long as he could, but that. Was running out. That can only last so long. Yeah. He already had a second mortgage on the house and the maintenance on the mansion, which was an older house. um, Is not cheap. No. No. Yeah. Um, John, you know, who thought so highly of himself um, and after being let go was having to face that he he wasn't the financial genius that he thought he was. Um, He was not the success that he wanted to project. And he was so close to everybody finding that out. Um, by 1971, he was basically bankrupt. Ooh, In uh, addition to the mounting debt, the 20-year marriage to Helen was imploding. Oof. Uh, in addition to her medical and mental issues, Helen had stopped going to church with John, which I'm sure, again, was embarrassing to him. Mm-hmm. Patricia's obsession with becoming an act- actress, a, posi- er, a profession he considered to be immoral, 
concerned him that Helen and Patricia were straying from God and oh, that no. they would end up being an example to the boys and leading them astray. Oh my God, I can't. Um, and we'll get to this here in a second, but I I really think it had more to do with the perception of himself than, yep. than his family. Yep. Um, one night over dinner, John asked the family after they were dead, would they prefer to be buried or cremated? And he asked them other things too, like... Oh, I can't remember what the other thing was, but yeah, would you, you know, do you want to, or how would you want to die? Like, would you want to be shot or burned alive? You know, like, I don't, that wasn't what it was, but it was, but you know, it was, it was yeah. questions like that. This scared Patricia, who apparently disclosed that to her drama teacher and also to friends, which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. And I, I have it in here somewhere later, but since I, I put it here, um, I watched in, or I watched something where like they brought that up to him and he was like, yeah, I thought I was pretty clever. Ugh, they gross. always do when they're dumb. Ugh. Anyway. They always think they're so smart. Okay. So now we arrive at November 9th, 1971. John woke up, got dressed as normal, went downstairs, ate breakfast with the children. Uh, around 8 in the morning, the kids left for school. John left a note for the milkman to cancel delivery. Then about nine, Helen got up, came downstairs to have her morning coffee. John had come into the kitchen. They spoke briefly, and he walked out of the room. He went to the office and retrieved his 9mm Strayer automatic pistol that his father had given him from his office desk drawer, came back to the kitchen, and shot Helen from behind. Oh, all right. The bullet entered her jaw (gasps) and went, like, and then just went through into her brain. Oh, my God. Without doing anything, John turns on his heels and goes upstairs to his mother's attic apartment. Um, she had just started her breakfast, but she came out to greet him and gave him a kiss. And he said, when he recounted this, he said, I felt like a Judas, you know, with the kiss. <gasps> oh, my fucker. Do you think they kissed on the lips? Probably. You know they did. Yeah, um, she, yeah. she had asked him, you know, like, what was that noise? And he gave some kind of non-answer. And, you know, that's why I came up here to, to check on you. As she turned to go back down the hallway, John shot her in the back of the head. Damn. So he's um, a little fucking bitch as well, shooting these people oh, yeah. from behind. Um, he then placed her on a carpet runner and drug her into the closet. But she was too heavy to bring downstairs, so he just, like, put her in a closet. Jesus um, Christ. He wow. then went downstairs, placed Helen on a sleeping bag, and drug her into the ballroom. And in the crime scene photos, like, you can see, like, the drag marks, like, the two, oh. like, sides just in blood. Um, so after murdering his wife and mother, John, and, like, when he shot Helen, he did that at, like, point-blank range. Damn. Um, I will mention one thing. Um, I, he, I believe he said that he shot... Alma in the back of the head. Other sources I read said that he shot her in the face. So I don't know which is correct. I feel like, honestly, I feel like it'd be behind. Yeah. Because he loved her so much. I think he loved her and I think he hated her. Um, Yeah. Oh, yeah. So after murdering his wife and mother, John left the house and went to the bank where he closed he and his mother's account. Another thing I read said that he um, cashed a savings bond of Alma's. He then went to the post office to stop the mail and to mail letters to the children's school, advising them that they would be out of school for the next several weeks as the family would be traveling to take care of sick relatives Mm -hmm. or a sick relative. He then returned home and made himself a sandwich. 
Why? Jesus Christ. When he asked, he said, because he was hungry. Oh, my God. Um, after his lunch, he cleaned the kitchen. Um, he wanted to make sure that when the kids came home, they weren't tipped off by the sight of blood everywhere. Um, he did remark that he was surprised at how much blood had come out of her and uh, that he had found several of Helen's false teeth on the floor as he was cleaning up. And in the, um, in the crime scene photos, you can see there's just like a trash can full of bloody paper towels. And then there's a bloody mop in the bathtub. I mean, the crime scene photos, we got to talk about what we want to show. Cause oh, yeah. I mean, we don't have to show it. They're, I mean, People can Google it themselves. I, I mean, like, they're pretty... So he then waited for his children to come home. Oh my God. Patricia arrived home sometime after two um, and entered through the kitchen. Now, some sources say that she had called um, and said she was coming home early from school because she wasn't feeling well. John snuck up behind her and shot her in the head with his antique twenty-two pistol, a souvenir that he had kept from his time in the war. Then, like Helen, she was placed on a sleeping bag and drug into the ballroom. Fred, the youngest, arrived home about an hour later and suffered the same fate. He was placed on a sleeping bag next to his sister. Now, John Jr. was playing in a soccer game that day, and John had initially planned to wait for his son to return home, but perhaps wanting to get things done, decided he was going to go to the game and pick John Jr. up himself. Yikes. Oh, no. John remarked that it looked like Jr. was having a good game and having a good time. When they returned home, uh, Jr. placed his soccer bag on the counter. John approached from behind and, like the rest of the family, was shot in the back of the head. (gasps) However, this time, things didn't go according to plan. Jr. didn't immediately drop as the others had. John claims that Jr. was thrashing, so he (gasps) shot, quote, a few more times, but that Jr. wasn't cognizant of what was going on. Oh, yeah. Like, much like a chicken that's been decapitated. He's like, you know, the body's still moving, but the, you know, they're not feeling anything. Um, How would you know, sir? Well, and that's the thing. Police don't believe that at all. They think that there was a struggle that Junior, like, saw it coming and tried to fight back because um, while everybody else had been shot once, John Junior, the favorite, had been shot ten times. Holy shit. Um, John then placed his son in the ballroom on yet another sleeping bag. He then went through the and ballroom, man. I just keep. He then placed towels over their faces and read some him shit um, over them. Now, my vast experience with criminal minds tells us <laughs> that the act of placing the towel over the faces shows remorse. And I want everybody to take note of that because this is the only side of remorse you're going to get from the rest of the story. Yeah. Um, He then made himself some dinner. Oh, my God. Stop with the Cleaned up the kitchen and uh, decided to go to bed. Uh, One of the interviews I watched with him, he said, you know, he, like, how could he eat? You know, again, like, with lunch, how did you eat? And he was like... He likened it to when he was in the war. You know, after a day of cur- of killing Germans, they'd all come back hungry and eat. Like, that's I what mean, they did. That's um, And he also said that after he had killed Helen and Alma, that there was never a moment that he thought he shouldn't continue what he was doing. Wow. Like, in no way, shape, or form did he ever think, you know, whatever, that he should stop. 
Um, he said that when he was done, he was relieved. And that while it may not have been the best sleep ever, he slept soundly. That's how he's is. no longer lying. And, and he's no longer... yeah, he, he slept better than the night before he did what he did. That is um, so much. So much. So many things. Right. Oh, it's, this is just going to get worse. Um, He later said in his self-published memoir, oh, I felt spent, sated. Something like the empty feeling left after sex. Gross, bro. Stop it. Fuck you. I know. So the next morning, John got up and meticulously went through the house and cut himself out of every photograph so police wouldn't necessarily know who they were looking for. He turned a real Edward Cullen here, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He turned the thermostat down to 50 degrees to prevent the bodies from decaying too quickly. He then went through and turned on every light in the house and put the radio on the classical station that he liked. Some sources say it was a religious station. I'm not sure. Um, But it was piped through the house through the home's intercom system. Well, that's kind of oh, cool. Um, he he basically said that he did it, you know, turn the lights on and turn the music on, and you know, because in the event like a prowler came by, that they would think that somebody was home. And all I could think of was like Kevin from Home Alone. I was just gonna say the shit, like right, the... yeah, when he does the whole like rocking around the Christmas tree mm-hmm. scene. Um, he then left, locked up the house, left with more than two thousand dollars, drove to JFK, left his car in the airport parking lot. And then he disappeared. A few weeks went by and neighbors noticed that there hadn't been any sightings of the List family. They had noticed that lights were burning on in the house 24-7. But what they really noticed was the lights started going out one by one. Ooh, creepy. And, um... The, now, the official story is that neighbors called and basically asked for a welfare check on Alma um, because they thought, well, maybe the family went out of town, but if she's there alone, I mean, she was 84, yeah. you know, yeah. it's possible. Um, some sources state that two of her teachers got concerned and went to went to the house to look around. Neighbors saw two people creeping around the house and called police. Okay. But either way, police arrived at the home on December 7th, 1971. The house was locked up tight, but at the urging of neighbors, um, police found and entered through an unlocked window. One of the officers at the time stated that the sound of the music being piped through the house sounded like a funeral dirge. As officers made their way through the obviously cold home, I mean, he literally turned the ball, like the house into a morgue. Um, They began to smell the faint smell of decomposition. And as they entered the ballroom, they found an absolute massacre. Um, You know, in the moment, they're like, okay, this is either a mass suicide or a murder. And the answer to that question would very soon be resolved. He had written and left several letters, which, of course, the police were like, I'm going to read that. I am so sorry. Tori just read a big chunk of it and I wasn't recording, so we're going to try that again. We're going to try it again. And just so you know, um, some of the things that they said were what, get out, uh, (laughs) go fuck yourself, sir. Yeah. Um, BTK loser. BTK loser. Yeah. So you guys... um, you, you may not hear that commentary this time. Just but know it's here. J- just know they did react. Yes. So before John left, he had written and left several letters, which, of course, the police read. The main letter was to his pastor. It read, Dear Pastor Raywinkle, I am sorry to add this additional burden to your work. 
I know that what has been done is wrong from all that I have been taught and that any reasons I might give will not make it right. But you are the one person that I know, while not condoning this, will at least possibly understand why I felt I had to do this. 1. I wasn't earning anywhere near enough to support us. Everything I tried seemed to fall to pieces. True. Bitch. (laughs) That was one of the things that, that, like, he is completely... Just go fuck yourself. True. We could have gone bankrupt and maybe gone on welfare. Two. But that brings me to my next point. Knowing the type of location that one would have to live in, plus the environment for the children, plus the effect on them knowing that they were on welfare. Go fuck yourself. Was just more than they could and should endure. Oh. I know that they were willing to cut back, but this involved a lot more than that. Number three, with Pat being so determined to get into acting, I was also fearful what that might do to her being a Christian. I'm sure it wouldn't have helped. Also, with Helen not going to church, I knew that this would harm the children eventually in their attendance. Oh my God, bro. I I had continued to hope that she would come to church soon, but when I mentioned to her that Mr. Jutt said that he wanted to pay her an elder call, she just blew up and said she wanted her name taken off the church rolls. Again, this could only have an adverse result for the children's continued attendance. So that is the sum of it. If any one of these things had been the condition, we might have pulled through, but this was just too much. At least I am certain they've all gone to heaven now. If things had gone on, who knows if that would have been the case. Of course, Mother got involved because, of course, doing what I did to my family would have been a tremendous shock to her at this age. Therefore, knowing that she is also a Christian, I felt it best she be relieved of the troubles of this world that would have hit her. After it was all over, I said some prayers for them from the hymn book. It was the least I could do. Oh, you fucking piece of shit. I mean, I think the least you could have done is not murder your whole family. Yeah. That's the least you could do. For the final arrangements. Helen and all the children have agreed that they would prefer to be cremated. Please see to it that the costs are kept low. Okay. For Mother, she has a plot at the Franklin North Church Cemetery. Please contact Mr. Herman Shuckless, Route 4, Vassar, Michigan, 41768. He is married to a niece of my mother's and knows what arrangements are to be made. She always wanted Reverend Herman Zender of Bay City to preach the sermon, but he is not well. Also, I am leaving some letters in your care. Please send them on and add whatever comments you think are appropriate. The relationships are as follows. Mrs. Lydia Meyer, mother's sister. Mrs. Eva Morris, Helen's mother. Jane Seifert, Helen's sister. Also, I don't know what will happen to the books and personal things, but to the extent possible, I'd like for them to be distributed as you see fit. Some books might go to the school or the church library. Originally, I'd planned this for November 1st, All Saints Day, but travel arrangements were delayed. I thought it would be an appropriate day for them to go to heaven. As for me, please let me be dropped from the congregation rolls. I leave myself in the hands of God's justice and mercy. I don't doubt that he is able to help us, but apparently he saw fit to not answer my prayers the way I hoped they would be answered. This made me think perhaps it was best as far as the children's souls were concerned. I know that many will only look at the additional years they could have lived, but... If finally they were no longer Christians, what would be gained? Also, 
I am sure many will say, how could anyone do such a horrible thing? My only answer is, it isn't easy, and was only done after much thought. Stop. Pastor, Mrs. Norris might be possibly reached at 802 Pleasant Hill Drive, Elkin, home of her sister. One other thing. It may seem cowardly to have always shot from behind, but I didn't want any of them to know, even at the last second, that I had to do this to them. John yeah, got you did hurt- it for them. John got hurt more because he seemed to struggle longer. Oof. The rest were immediately out of pain. John didn't consciously feel anything either. Please remember me in your prayers. I will need them, whether or not the government does its duty as it sees fit. I am only concerned with making my peace with God, and of this I am assured, because of Christ dying, even for me. P.S. Mother is in the hallway in the attic third floor. She was too heavy for me to move. Wow. (laughs) P.S. My ma's dead. (laughs) Up in the closet. I mean, see you later. There is so much to unpack here, but before I do... um, the letter to his mother-in-law, who was also their insurance agent, by the way, um, oh, started off by saying, by now, no doubt, you know what has happened to Helen and the children. I'm very sorry that it had to happen. And later on, it read, I, I don't have that full letter, but it read in part, but because of the number of reasons, I couldn't see any other solution. I couldn't support them anymore, and I didn't want them to go into poverty. Also, at this time, I know that they will would all be Christians. I couldn't be sure of that in the future as the children grow up. And then he signed it with my sincerest sympathies, John E. List. Oh, my God. Bro. A sincere sympathy after I just killed. Murdered your daughter and your grandchildren. God. So, like I said, there's there's (laughs) there's a lot to unpack in one letter. I was just like, so as I was typing this up, you know. So for the police, this is a full confession. I mean, well, yeah, he you don't spells have to do... it out. He gives them motive. He says he did it. He describes how he did it. I mean, this is, you know. My God. But I think in his mind, his narcissism made him have to write to the one person his warped brain thought might not look at him as completely horrible. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, listing every, just because he listed everything, you know, in a bullet point, you know, justification. Yeah. Um, He's the only one he truly cared about you know, how yeah. he uh, yeah. looked to him, I think. And, um, yeah, because I think, you know, because he was, and I, I'm using the term religious, not in the capacity of he was religious in that he necessarily believed everything but the appearance of being religious so somebody of this caliber their pastor um is somebody that he would have held in extremely high regard and wouldn't want that person to think badly of him um and you know it, it just was so weird to me that he's like you know going through all of this and then like in the middle of the letter is very abruptly like okay now for the final arrangements Mm-hmm. And please keep the costs of the burial low. I'm like, what? you're yeah, not paying exactly. for it. Like, <laughs> like, and and honestly, like, you know, you're fi- you just murdered your family, and they mean so little to you mm-hmm. that you know, like, okay, well, they got to be buried, but just like you know, make it cheap, and you know, they're fine. And, they're Christian now. You know, so yeah. And so it. he just kind of goes into this, you know, very matter of fact 
portion. And then it's like, then randomly he's like, you know, I almost did this on All Saints Day. Like he like he had that thought as an afterthought and thought he should add it. And then he he launches into like, who the fuck is Mrs. Norris? Like yeah. that, and then he goes back to trying to justify again rambles. what he did. It it was just bizarre. It's just really, really weird. And, you know, and then he's blaming God for not answering his prayers the way he, he wanted. wanted it. Yeah. And, you know, he's making himself the victim because it wasn't easy for him to slaughter his entire family. Um, you know, he his insistence that even though he had shot Junior 10 times, oh, don't worry, Junior didn't suffer. He didn't know he's what fine. was going on. Like, he's okay. You know, asking that he be kept in prayer and his gentle insistence that he would indeed be forgiven. Because that was the thing, you, you know, and we'll get to this later on, but like one of the questions was, you know, why didn't you commit suicide? Well, for him, he was like, well, if I committed suicide, that would be a mortal sin. So I wouldn't go to heaven. I hated that so much. <laughs> oh, Fuck. I just, that's my response to uh, the guy. That's all. Um, I ooh, just am amazed. Oh. So it just, you know, and then, I mean, the th- above all, and your guys' reaction was exactly my reaction. The P.S. Postscript. Oh, by the way. BT Dubs. Mom's upstairs. She was too heavy for me to move. It's like like an afterthought. Like, he wrote it. He's like, okay, everything's prepared. Oh, wait a second. I better make sure that they know mom is upstairs. I mean, it just, I uh, cannot even. Yeah, I can't. Um, so the late, the letters were all dated for November 9th, the day that, you know, that obviously the murders occurred. And, we all know that the first 48 hours in an investigation is the most critical, statistically yes. regarding the chances of closing a case. John had a month's head start. Woof. You know, yeah. they very... Oh, my God. It took them a month to... Yeah, because he had Whoa. he had stopped mail. He had stopped delivery. He had... He had Set said, the thermostat. He, and he didn't... He got Get you close know, to anybody. No, he didn't have so any like, friends. Yeah. He didn't socialize with his neighbors. Huh. The, you know, teachers received a thing saying that the kids were going to be out of school for several weeks. No one like questioned it. nobody. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, I mean, it, they thought it was weird that the lights were on, but they just assumed that Alma was there herself. So it wasn't until the lights started going out that people started getting really kind of like, what's going on? So uh, you know, so John has this month head start because, I mean, the police didn't show up until December 7th. He did that on November 9th. Like, it was literally almost a full month. Hey, weirdlings. Lindsay here. Just wanted to pop in to tell you guys a little bit about BarkBox. Now, let me tell you about my amazingly cute and very picky chihuahua babe, Gooey. Gooey. This boy of mine only ever likes to play with cat toys. One day I was at Emily's house and saw her bark box. It had the cutest dang toys I've ever seen. I knew I needed to get one for Gooey and hoping he would approve of the adorable toys. Upon opening my brand new bark box, Gooey could not handle how much he loved the toys and his new toys were the perfect size for him. You can choose from small, medium, and large toys for your pup. These toys are ridiculously cute and Gooey loves every single one he gets. You also get treats and chews along with the toys, and you can buy extra toys and treats from their website. If you follow the link in the episode, you will get a Star Wars-themed box, guys. Come on. And get double your first box. Your pup will thank you, and so will Gooey, to keep BarkBox alive. I love you. Goodbye. 
Now, they found John's car at JFK pretty quickly. Because, I mean, this was a... Yeah. You know, Westfield's a, a... Despite us having two cases that we're covering... Yeah. For the most part, was a pretty quiet town that didn't have crime. Yes. You know, it's yeah. why it was I ideal. Like, ignore the fact that all of our stories have taken place here. Yeah. Don't let uh, that deter you from Don't what let I'm that saying. deter you from, yeah. Like, dude, I tell you what, I just, I don't know. I wouldn't want to live there. That's all I'm going to say. No, um, I'm good. Anyway, uh, they, they found his car at JFK very quickly, but there was no evidence that he had ever gotten on a flight. Um, the trail, I mean, I can't even say it quickly went cold because there there wasn't. Yeah. You know, he had cut himself right. out of the pictures. Um, you know, 1971, you, you didn't, like, people was, didn't, yeah, like, you didn't necessarily have pictures on your driver's licenses. And you know what I mean? Yeah. There wasn't a database that you could quickly access yeah. to see what somebody looked like. Um, investigators, though, particularly the FBI, never gave up hope. They utilized the media, and on pretty much every significant anniversary, the 1st, the 5th, the 10th, um, they tried to bring the crime back into the spotlight, and thousands of tips were received over the years. You know, mm-hmm. oh, I'm in, you know, I think I just saw John List in Boise, Idaho, you know, whatever. Um, but nothing, none of them ever came to anything. In the, in the 80s, they tried to get the case covered by Unsolved Mysteries, but the show turned the story down. Too Fuck. old. Too old, too cold. Basically. Yeah. Um, but in 1988, a brand new show, America's Most Wanted, oh. hosted by John Walsh, oh. who we've I covered. I will link the episode. <laughs> so in 1988, this brand new show debuted. Investigators reached out to producers, but much like Unsolved Mysteries, producers were like, this is a 17-year-old cold case. Like, this is too cold for our show. That is so crazy And now. Well, and yeah, I mean... Because now, yes. like, we're solving cases from the 80s now. Right. Yeah. So to think but, that, like, seven... I'm like, that's not that long ago. But here's the thing. In 1988, it kind of was. It was. Yeah. Because yeah. we'll get to it here in a second, but, I mean, it's a really good point that you mentioned that because, you know, producers either figured that he was dead or mm-hmm. likely wasn't going to be found. And the biggest reason that they didn't want to do the story is they were like, this was 17 years ago. Who knows what he looks like now? Totally. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's... And so, now, investigators did not give up. And they basically hounded <laughs> the show for nine months and continue to ask producers to reconsider. And then I, I think that... I think once John Walsh got involved and heard the story, especially being a father who lost his child to a murderer, the idea of a father murdering his children, like... It just sent him. When we did the John Walsh story, like, you guys heard him, and when... when uh, Brian Laundry was found, or mm-hmm. not before he was found, and yeah, <laughs> John Walsh went on TV and was like, "Go kill yourself." That's right. He doesn't yeah. hold back, and he no. had some really choice things to say about John List. Um, and uh, so the show, the show had agreed to cover the case, but they still had the problem of the age progression. Now, in the late eighties. Computer-generated age progression, or in the early 90s, it was available, but it was, like, not anything like we have now. And, right. like, you know, the guy, one guy was, like, you know, they'd add, like, five wrinkles and be like, okay, here he is, he's old. <laughs> yeah. Um. So <laughs> prosecutors 
did a very unusual thing and they actually hired a man whose name was Frank Bender to create a 3D bust. I was going to say they were usually a physical. That's right. Even today, I think of a physical 3D bust. It's just different than looking at something that's a two-dimensional yeah, picture. You totally. Know? Um, so Frank was already well known in the crime community for giving faces to unidentified victims. His bust which sounds so weird, but his bus had already identified several victims, including um, one of a young girl whose skull had been, like, just a skull was found in a field, and he made a bust, and they were able to identify That's who she amazing. was. That's wild, um, man. That is so cool. So there's an episode of Forensic Files, um, which I'll, we'll link a, a thing to. You can watch it on YouTube. Um, on the case and Frank is interviewed. So you can really learn all the details about this process because it was incredibly complex. Like, oh, yeah, I'm sure. you know, looking, I mean, there's like specific measurements and he would look at, you know, anthropological things and genetics. And the one other thing though, that I wanted to say about Frank's bust is his ability to recreate the likeness of someone. It was like, incredibly accurate. Oh, wow. Is there a picture of it? Yeah. Well, we'll get to that in a second. Okay. I'll show you. So for the for the John List bust, Frank started with a few photos of List, um, but they were from several years before the murder. Frank also worked with psychological profiler Richard Walter, and together they came up with a psychological profile of how John would age. The profile... Wow. Richard came up with was this was a man who killed out of retaliation and anger for his own failures. Check. Yes. Concur. Um, Can confirm. He was he felt trapped by the domineering women in his life, his mother and his wife. Frank made the bust with the mouth turned down, saying that, you know, he was like, oh, I was thinking that the anxiety that he must have felt because of the murders would like probably cause him you know that and richard pointed out that the anxiety wasn't from guilt but from the fear of being caught mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um additionally frank looked at pictures of john's father and how he had aged so he added sagging jowls and a receding hairline to the bust as well as a scar that john had behind his ear now but not only did frank add the scar but he also had researched how the scar would age. Like, I was just blown away. Jesus, like, that wouldn't even man. have crossed my mind. No. Um, they put the bust in a suit and tie because the profile said to this day he was like that all yeah, the time. Yeah, like, he was probably, you know, that was kind of his, his suit of armor, you know. Yeah, that he oh, yeah. Wear. Um, and then they just needed glasses. So Richard was sure that John wouldn't wear contacts. And Frank posited that John would would have changed the frames of the glasses from those he had typically worn in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, he thought he said he thought he would want to appear like more intellectual and more important than he was. <laughs> yeah. And so he would choose dark, thick frames. So Frank credited this idea to Richard's profile. And he went through like all of these used glasses till he found what he thought was the perfect pair. He didn't know at the time how perfect they really were. So on May 21st, 1989, the story of the List family aired on America's Most Wanted. An estimated 22 million people watched the episode. And after the show was over, over 200 tips came in. Wow. One very promising lead came from Denver, Colorado. A woman named Wanda Flannery and her daughter, Eva Mitchell, had been watching the show. 
And throughout the show, as you know, it's being described, they're thinking, man, this sounds an awful like a lot like our old neighbor and friend, Bob Clark. Lutheran? Check. Accountant? Check. Oh, no. Suit and tie? Check. And Bob had a scar behind his ear. Oh, my God. But when they saw the bust, and in particular, the glasses, they were like... They lost their shit. Oh. Uh, That's him. We need to call the FBI. Yeah. Oh, and so man. they did. They informed the FBI that their old neighbor, Bob, and his wife, Dolores, who was a friend of Wanda's, had recently relocated to Richmond, Virginia. Eleven days later, the FBI showed up at the home of Bob and Dolores Clark. Dolores advised him that her husband was at work, so they went off to Bob Clark's office in an accounting firm. Uh-huh. They approached uh-huh. him and they said, are you Bob Clark? To which he replied, yes. Then they were like, are you John List? And he said, no, I'm Robert Peter Clark. They were like, uh-huh. So they arrested him basically on the spot. He went without incident, despite his insistence that they had the wrong man. FBI Kevin August was quoted by NewJersey.com describing John as a strange man, I would say. He was not very animated. That's the best way to put it. He seemed to me as a vessel with no soul in Oh, my there. God. Jesus. Yeah, that's a lot, right? Um, wow. Unfortunately for List... The police had his fingerprints on file from a handgun permit that he had filed for just one month before the murders. Oh, bro. Um, he still tried to deny, even after this, that he was John List, but fingerprints, you know, man, they don't lie. Yeah. So, yeah. um... For a brief moment, we are going to flash back to 1971. And so after leaving his car at JFK in a hopeful attempt to confuse police, uh, John had boarded a train to Denver, Colorado. He arrived in Denver as Bob Clark, a name of somebody he had known years ago, and he was able to apply for a Social Security card under his name. And so he was able to work. Um, oh, God. He, he could just do whatever back in the day. Man, yeah, seriously. Um, He ended up taking a job as a fry cook and laid low for a while, but as time went on and he hadn't been caught, he just sort of slipped back into his old life. Um, he went back to work as an accountant. He joined a Lutheran church and taught Sunday school. Um, And it was there that he met his unsuspecting second wife, Dolores. He married uh. her. Um, he did tell others that he had been previously married to a woman who was an alcoholic and had died a slow and agonizing death from cancer. Jesus. I know, right? And um, he never had any kids. What a fucking piece of shit. Um, he oh. liked to putter around in his lawn on the weekends. And once again, like, he seemed like, you know, the people that knew him then said he was, you know, somewhat odd, but soft-spoken, seemed like an upright moral citizen. Um, and I mean, during his time on the run, like he never got in any trouble with police. Um, when Bob was arrested, Dolores was in shock. Um, she was convinced and apparently remained convinced throughout the trial, even after he had admitted he was John List, um, that this was a case of mistaken identity. Um, she gave a press conference to this effect and was later quoted in her official statement saying, I was shocked to hear about Bob's arrest and what he's charged with. This is not the man I know. The man I know is kind, loving, a devoted husband, and a dear friend. He is quiet yet a fr- he's a quiet yet friendly man who loves his work and the people he works with. And other people that knew Bob in, in Denver, or not in Denver, but in Virginia, well, in both places, 
um, kind of echoed the same statement, saying that this was unbelievable or impossible. And uh, one friend who remained nameless was quoted as saying that this is either the most unbelievable mix up or he is the biggest con man who ever walked the earth. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, yep. it was the second. Yeah. Um, you know, even even stepdaughter Brenda seemed baffled. I mean, as much as she had wanted out of the house, I'm not sure that she wanted out of the house because of John. It might have been her mom. I Probably. Mean, because she... And grandma bitch, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Alma. Um, you know, she said that, you know, she, as far as she was concerned, like, John was her father. He's the only father she had yeah. ever known. Um, she said he had always been there for her. Like, when things happened, he never put her down. He was He always listened to her. Um, and so, you know, I, I wouldn't say she necessarily, like, defended him, but she was also kind of, like, I don't, like, WTF. I'm really shocked. Like, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, John's trial began on April 2nd, 1990. Damn. And at that point, he had finally admitted that he was John List. Um, prosecutors had a pretty strong case. I mean, they had <laughs> the letters yeah. he had written, which are essentially a confession, um, now, initially, the defense tried to have the letters excluded, claiming that the police had entered illegally. Now, for this story, we go back to that drama teacher, Edward Iliano, um, the one that, yes. you know, Patricia supposedly disclosed the whole, you know. The whole bullshit, too. The whole do you want to be buried or cremated story. Oh my God. Um, and she had told Iliano at that time that she was worried that the father was going to kill the family. Uh, He claimed that Patricia was near hysterical, as she told him. Um, He claimed that he reported this to the list pastor and to the then chief of police, but that he wasn't taken seriously. He claimed that he had been worried, so worried, that Patricia hadn't been coming to rehearsals over those several weeks. And he was like, you know, if she wasn't able to participate because they had an upcoming show, Mm -hmm. that she would have told him. Um, He claims that he and another teacher, drama teacher that he had persuaded were the ones that went to the home out of concern for Patricia and that they were the ones that entered through the window and found the bodies. But in his official statement, he had said that the officers entered first. When questioned about this on the stand, he said that he only said that because he just he wanted to get out of there. (laughs) Oh, bro. Now. Patricia had disclosed to other friends that she feared her father, and she did think that he wanted them dead. And the story about John asking what they wanted done with their bodies, I mean, John admitted that himself. Yeah. Um, the, you know, all of those things did happen. But, and I, I felt like I hit Pater when I started finding stuff about Ileano, because this man was giving interviews everywhere and talking about all kinds of stuff. Of course. But then I found out. Oh, no. That Iliano made and starred in what can only be described as a bad homemade movie called The Patricia List Story, where he insinuates that Patricia was basically obsessed with him and alludes that she tried to seduce him. Gross, um, bro. Perhaps to get away from her father. Now, I found it on YouTube. Oh, my God. I could not watch more than a few minutes of it. I mean, it's trash. It is absolute straight trash. And it was just, and what the review that talked about it was like, this is, it's so awful to sit through. Like they did. And so I was like, I can't. Um, uh, yeah. But okay. we'll link it. If you want to try and sit through it, you go ahead. Um, but 
It is also important to note that Iliano didn't release this quote unquote film. Um, and I use that term loosely, very loosely, um, until after John's arrest. Interesting. And he, like I said, there were, I mean, I was finding him in articles all over the place. Like one point he was saying that, well, John was worried that Patricia was using cocaine and marijuana and Helen was verbally abusive and Patricia was in fear that her parents' fights would end in violence. Um, He also said that like he, I guess there were some, a couple of times he had gone over to their house and like he said like one time, um, or at school that John Jr. was like, you should come over again. Like, they were so desperate for any adult to, like, come over and notice what was going on. So I can't discount everything that Ileano said, but I also think that it's pretty clear that he wanted his 15 minutes of fame and and was interjecting himself, like, you know... I don't know. The impression I got was that this was a guy that thought he was going to be a big actor and then ended up being a high school drama teacher to a bunch mm. of rich kids and yeah. saw and this is like, his shot, yeah. you know, or something. Um, now, the police contradicted Ileano's statement because you remember at the beginning of the story, I said the official story. Where yeah. The police got there and went in that they were there. And so that was the big thing was that the defense was saying the police weren't the first ones to go in. This guy was. So they went in illegally. And then, I don't know. Anyway, the police contradicted his statement. Detective Robert Bell, who led the murder investigation, identified the five letters taped to the filing cabinet and desk drawers um, addressed to List's insurance agent, which was also his mother-in-law, the estate administrator, and the estate administrator. I can't talk today. The estate's administrator and the Lutheran pastor. The detective said that the 22 caliber and the 9mm automatic were found in a desk drawer, as described in the letters. Uh, retired patrolman George Zelznick testified that he was sent to the home after neighbors requested a welfare check on Alma and after noticing a suspicious car in the driveway. Um, that suspicious car was Ileano's. <laughs> he said he went around the house and found the unlocked window. And and he also said that, like, it was at the encouragement of the two um, two friends that were there saying, no, can you please, you know. Um, he said he entered the house first, followed by his partners and two friends of Patty. Um, he testified that upon entering the ballroom, he saw what appeared to be four bodies He then radioed for help and went back to search the rest of the home. And then during the search, they found Alma's body, as described in the letter. So the letters stayed in. The prosecution then switched gears and psychiatrist diagnosed John with obsessive compulsive personality disorder, which is different than Mm -hmm. obsessive compulsive disorder. So obsessive compulsive personality disorder is a disorder where someone feels that there is a strong need for order and a strict adherence to the way something should be done. Oh. Right? Black and white. So, and, you know, for John, this meant either declare bankruptcy and go on welfare, which, in Lutheran doctrine, poverty is a sin. Are you... And his father would, like... Wow. The idea of accepting, like, a handout would have been... Yeah. You know, unacceptable. Um, And so... It was either that or kill his family. Um, John claims... Those are your only two options. Oh, yeah. Well, and that was the thing. Like, to him, 
he and he alone knew what was best for the family. And when they didn't comply, like with anything, it was always whatever he thought. And if they didn't comply, they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And so it allowed him to rationalize his decision. Mm. Um, it took the jury nine hours to come back. With oh, the my God. Um, uh. A few weeks later, it was time for sentencing. Since the murders occurred in 1971, before New Jersey had reinstated the death penalty, the maximum sentence that could be applied was five consecutive life sentences. And that is exactly what he got. Uh, when he was sentenced, the courtroom exploded in applause. Wow. And John Walsh was there and he said he had been to a lot of trials and that was the first time he had ever heard a courtroom just like everybody just applause. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. At sentencing, John remained as unremorseful as ever, saying, I remain truly sorry for the tragedy that happened in 1971. I feel that due to my mental state at the time, I was unaccountable for what happened. Oh, all right. Okay. And, like, even nice. after all this time, like, whenever he talks about it, it's a tragedy. Or he calls it the situation or whatever. Like, he, he can't. He never he he couldn't say the bring people himself I killed. To admit. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, he did an interview with Connie Chung in 2002. Oh, my God, Connie. I know. She asked why he hadn't just committed suicide. Well, that would have been a mortal sin, one that he couldn't come back from. How is murder not a mortal sin? Because they were innocent. So he murdered them, right? And so they died innocent, so they would go to heaven. He then could be penitent, and God would forgive him of the sin of murder because Jesus died on the cross for Mm -hmm. him. But suicide is the one... Um, unforgivable sin. Gotcha. So God yeah. would not have forgiven. So God will forgive him for murder, but not for the suicide. Especially, it's, it's very intense in Catholicism as well. Yeah. It's suicide as a sin. Um, you know, but here's the thing, and and his whole point was, well, God will forgive me, and then I'll re- reunite with my family in heaven. But he- here's where I have a problem with that because I was like, if he was actually repent repentant and ready to accept punishment. Why didn't he sit and wait for the police or turn himself in? Mm-hmm. Because it was never about their souls. No. It was because he wanted to be free of all of them and he wanted a fresh start. Yep. And yeah. So um, I'm also going to link an episode of American Justice that you can watch or you can find it at season 12, episode 16, titled To Save Their Souls. Um, and it features interviews with List. And um, he descri- he goes through the whole thing, describes what he did that day in his own words. Jesus. Um, I did watch it. I will warn you that he is very cold. It's ineffectual. He describes everything in a very monotone, matter-of-fact way. Imagine. That's what I imagine. And um, it's extremely unsettling to watch. And I don't recall... Um, what it was that he said, but at one point he like laughs and it's it's that same oh. Israel Keys like oh I don't like that you mm-hmm. know feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to the family and what he had done in that video, he just states, "I guess as time went on, I thought less and less of family. I suppose I was just thankful living a free life, and I didn't want to be incarcerated if it wasn't necessary." 
Um, he then described his 18 of years of freedom as his parole in that he got his parole before getting his sentence. Oh, my God. Um, after his incarceration, he did appeal twice. Well, not after, but during his incarceration. He appealed twice. The second time claiming that it was PTSD from his time in World War II. See, it wasn't his fault because he had been trained to be a killer and compartmentalize killing. Totally. Um, both appeals Nothing's were, his fault. Both appeals were subsequently denied. Uh, John died in 2008 from pneumonia, and I truly hope it was slow and painful. Um, now we're going to get to the weirdness. So excited. This is my this is my favorite part. Okay, so uh, first thing, this is just in general. Um, the house itself uh, burned down about a year after the murder. So I think it was like nine months or something. Wow. Um, it was suspected arson, but the case remains open and unsolved to this day. A new home was built on the land, but many of the local residents still refer to the new home as the list house. Oof, I went no one over there. So he said earlier, John bought the house for $50,000, and the, the fire destroyed everything, including the skylight in the ballroom, which was found out to be made from Tiffany glass. Even in 1971, the value of the skylight alone was worth over $100,000. In 1971. That's like millions. The skylight alone would have more than solved John's financial problems. Oh, my God. Um, But I, you know what? Honestly, I'm not convinced that even if he did know that it would have changed. Oh, he wouldn't have cared. No. You know, at all. No. Okay. Emily, this is your list fun fact it's not a fun fact it's a terrible fact but um anyway um so john for a considerable period of time was considered a suspect um of being db cooper who's and this is a story emily's planning on covering later and just as background if people don't know the story someone using the alias of db cooper bought a one-way ticket to seattle and while the plane was in the air hijacked the plane uh, collected $200,000 in ransom and then jumped out of the plane with a parachute and was never seen again. And didn't hurt a single person. Nope. Um, the, the theory was that John committed, like John didn't have anything to lose. Um, and well, first of all, the hijacking and robbery occurred less than three weeks after John disappeared. Oh my God, that gave me goosebumps. The theory was that John had committed the crime as a way to get money while on the run and that he didn't have anything to lose. I've been to the place that some of his money was found. Um, Whoa. John fits the general description. Both men were in their mid-40s, wore the same type of glasses. I was going to say, and like a suit and tie, right? Like, were white. Yep, white they're both white. suit and tie. They shared a similar build, similar. Haircut. Yep. Um, mm. Both crimes were committed in November of 1971. Now, he was questioned after his arrest, and he vehemently denied being Cooper. And there was no direct evidence that implicated him, so eventually they kind of cleared him of being Cooper. But he also denied being John List, so oh, I don't know. I feel like it's giving him too much credit. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> 
So, Honestly, I don't you know. should watch the D.B. Cooper but documentary. we're going to have to just wait till you do your D.B. Yeah. Cooper story to find out, you know, whether or not we, we think we should still have him as a suspect. Yeah. Now, Lindsay. Oh, God. Is your fun fact. Part. Yay. So, in 1993, a made-for-TV movie depicting oh, yeah. a fictionalized version of the murders uh, was made starring Beverly D'Angelo, you know, Ooh. the mom from the vacation movies. Yes. Uh, also, she was with, uh, she, she is uh, Al Pacino baby mama. Oh. Twins together. Mm-hmm. I don't wow. know that they ever got married, but they were like together for a really long That's time. That's crazy. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and Robert Blake. Place. Hell yes. Now, some people may remember the name Robert Blake because yeah. he, in real life, eventually went on trial and was acquitted in real life for murdering his second wife, Pretty Bonnie sure Lee Bakley. Pretty um, sure he did it. He, he was eventually, now he was acquitted criminally, but a la O.J. Simpson was eventually found liable for her death in a civil suit. Mm-hmm. Um, the film garnered a fair amount of criticism because it makes it out like like John was the victim. Like oh he was driven to murder by this controlling and domineering mother and wife, and it made Helen out to be this mean and abusive drunk. Um, and, Who is you know, our men writing this fucking thing? Yeah, and every I mean, time? and like she was an embarrassment to her kids. Like there's a part where she comes in the room, like Patricia. This, this is all reenactment, of course. Um, you know, but. She is, the daughter's in the living room with, like, her boyfriend, and the mom comes in, and she's, like, swilling her drink, and she's like, <laughs> you know, somebody died in this house. And the Patricia character's like, Mom, that's not true. And she's like, shut up. It's, oh my you God. know, my story or something. Like Cassie's mom from Euphoria. I mean, it's it's hard because there definitely is research out there that kind of states, like, you know, she probably was verbally abusive to John, and she. But that I'm also like, she also wasn't. Them. No, murder no, the and that that's the part that really bugs me to make it yeah. seem like, you know, his family just drove him to this. But anyway, and here's the other thing. Um, this is the lad last little tidbit is that um, John and his crimes also served as the inspiration for the movie The Stepfather. Hell yeah. And I thought this one was crazy. The character of Kaiser Sose in The Usual Suspects. What the fuck? <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's, that's it. That's the... Uh, what a fucking dick. Um, one article I read, which actually was kind of interesting... But I disagree with her, and I'll tell you why. Um, she had brought up the idea that perhaps, and not that this was any kind of justification, she was very clear about that, but perhaps John was on the autism spectrum. Honestly, I keep, I thought oh. that when you were first saying how, and there what, what, are, what, how he know, acted. Yeah, there are a lot of things, but I don't think, and this is why I, I potentially disagree with that theory is that I don't think that he had issues socializing with people because he was because he had autism. I think it's because of how he, he was didn't raised. have the opportunity yeah. to socialize. Uh-huh. And so he didn't know how. And it seems like he learned to socialize in his second family franchise that he started. Because uh-huh. everybody seemed to really like him. You know, it's interesting. Um, I think... Yeah, and people were deaf. 
people didn't seem, I mean, I think the horrificness of it shocked everybody in Westfield, Mm -hmm. but they all thought he was odd and people didn't like him and, you know, and, and those kinds of things. Whereas it did seem like a different, like he had friends. Yeah. And now they may have been Dolores's friends. Um, but he, you know, he seemed but to have seemed, friends yeah. and have contacts with people who were shocked that the man that they knew. Yeah. Now, I will say that Wanda and her daughter didn't seem quite as shocked. I mean, I think they were shocked, but they were also just like, yeah, I mean, he was a little weird, a little different, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but that's a really good point that I hadn't thought of. Is that yeah, in his in his second life, he seemed people... to figure it out. Yeah. Oh, here's one other thing that I didn't mention. List was a huge fan oh, no. of America's Most Wanted, and he <laughs> encouraged all of his friends of and people that he knew to watch the show. And he said that he thought at one point. I wonder if they're ever going to do me. And then like two or three months later is when they aired it. And he caught the very tail end of it, saw the bust and was like, oh, yeah, that looks like me. Wow. Dude. Dude. Oh, my God. Like, so, yeah, guys, let us know what you think. And uh, remember who you are and what you represent. And, uh. Have it not be a family annihilator. Yeah, don't yeah. do it, please. Don't don't murder your family. No, there are there are other ways. And we'll just roll right into a real quick shoot the shit. Yeah. One, y'all need to watch Casey Anthony. I know you're not gonna. Yeah, Emily was real mad at me because I refused to watch the new. I gotta know the internet is split, man. My TikTok is yeah. full. It's like 50-50. Very like I really don't think she did it. I really fucking think she did it, and it's crazy. And I just need everyone to be on my level. Where are you at? Like, I, I, you are gu- you're with the guilty. I don't know. I'm assuming. I don't no, know. I am. I think I think she did it, and I think that she's lying about the death. I my I don't think she intentionally murdered Kaylee, but I think she killed her. The story. And I think that she tried to cover what's it up. The cause of death again. I can't so. Uh, I don't think they have one. She was just bones, I believe. So I don't know that they actually oh, came up with the cause right. of death. So her story is that she was in her room with Kaylee. She fell asleep. And when she woke up, Kaylee was gone. And they said, do you think she could have gone out into the pool? Because we know that she could have opened yeah, the door. And she said, don't. no, absolutely not. I know the pool ladder was not accessible. And so she said she went looking for Kaylee. And her dad came around the corner with Kaylee soaking wet, not alive. Mm-hmm. And when she said, like, what happened to Kaylee? He said, like, everything's going to be fine and turned around and left. And so she believed for 31 days because she was so abused and her mind didn't work well. And she had to listen to everything that he said that she believed that Kaylee was going to be okay. Which is why she didn't say anything to the police. Oh God, that's terrible. I, but that's what people actually think happened is she wanted a night out and she went and left her kid with Zanny the Nanny, who was actually Xanax, yep. overdosed her, killed her. Yep. And then. Yeah. Um, that is what I believe. Or the other option Put is her in her dad. Trunk. The other thing that she said was her dad used to like smother her with a pillow when she was a kid while he was like doing stuff to her. Uh, which I, I, and that like she was worried that he was doing that to her, accidentally killed her, and then put her in the pool to be like, oh no, she drowned. 
Have you ever been curious about the benefits of CBD products for yourself, loved ones, or even your pets? Choosing an effective cannabinoid product can be a very daunting process. In 2013, the creators of Strain CBD, Hugh and Chris Hempel, yes, that is their real last name, Hempel, were desperately searching for a CBD product for their identical twin daughters. Addie and Cassie suffered from debilitating daily seizures caused by a rare and fatal childhood brain disease. They needed to find a CBD product that was highly potent while being lab tested with predictable dosing to test effectiveness. The problem was a product like that did not exist. They took matters into their own hands and applied for a cannabis industry license to legally start a company to make their own trusted, high-powered CBD extractions. Seven years later, Strains has become a nationally recognized and trusted brand in the cannabis industry with award-winning product lines. Their team is passionate about creating effective CBD and other cannabinoid products that can be enjoyed by everyone, everywhere. Their facilities produce superior quality CBD extracts for other companies and brands as well. Strains formula combine the therapeutic value of extracted cannabinoids with other natural plant-based ingredients to create products your family can trust. Hemp and cannabis gave Hugh and Chris Hempel the ability to provide a natural, non-toxic solution that supported a better quality of life for their twin girls. While Addie and Cassie gained their angel wings in 2019, their legacy lives on at Strains and inspires them and their entire team to continue their quest to making a difference in people's lives just as they did. Follow the link in our show notes or find it at linktree.com slash threes a crime to tell them that we sent you and get started on your CBD journey today. So, like, from what I was listening to with the boys about this, is that the the Anthony family revolved around Casey, mm-hmm. and then the mom, and then George was the second last thought. And his he wanted to be goofy at Disneyland. He wanted to play goofy. Oh my god, that was like his dream. Oh my god, but then he became a cop. No, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, cop. it's interesting because like my dad and I, you know, maybe it was because he had kind of an emotionally unavailable father, but my dad loved Disney stuff. I mean, he was definitely one of those people. And like the highlight, I think of my dad's life was when, um, friends of our family, their son and his wife worked at Disney world. And like, my dad got to go down under, under oh, wow. to like all the tunnels and see everything. And, um, so, like, I could kind of see, like, my dad wanting to play Goofy. Right, And yeah. it not being, I mean, it sounds kind of like a weird thing when you say it, but then I'm it like, well. But you have to, that's why I wanted you to see it, because you have to see the footage of him and, like, the actual things that you can pull from that are not just her saying things. I think she's lying about, like, 98% of it, but I think it's possible that there is some truth there however i I think she's had 13 years to make up a lie yeah absolutely yeah why wouldn't you have said that any of this then and i mean look i get it but at the same time and this is where because i you know i was real adamant with emily (laughs) on our chat that i was like i'm not watching it yeah i don't believe anything she has to say and then i started thinking about it and i'm like yeah you know what Though a lot of times it takes trauma victims a really long time to be able to say things but I don't, I just have this, I've got my this. inner, my inner voice, my intuition is just like. So here's facts. Not, In her yeah. past, she put off graduate, she didn't graduate because she just didn't do her shit. But she made it look like she was a going to graduate like everybody else and get a party and all that stuff. So 
the mom finds out, like, I think a week before she's supposed to graduate, she's like, don't tell anybody. We'll just pretend like you're still graduating. So they had a whole family party, family and friends, mom and her and George knew that she did not really graduate, mm. but they just pretend and all that. And then she's seven months pregnant and she tells them then that she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, okay, don't tell anybody. We'll, you know, make it like. Yeah, we'll figure this it was out. All, yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out. Don't you worry. So, and then <laughs> she lied about having a job for two years. Very yeah. intricate. Like, that she would make up the nanny were the two weird lies that do not make any sense. And yes. She's like, it's a trauma response. And I'm like, girl. No, no she's no. just really good at lying. And she got, she was a spoiled fucking brat. And, and she got she, away with everything her, she's gotten yeah. away with everything her entire life. And her mom, I think, is the same. Mm-hmm. I think they're very similar in that way. So, like, it just seems really rehearsed to me. Yeah. It seems like she's said it to herself every morning in the mirror for 13 years. It does. Yeah. Everything. You, there's no heart. Everything that you sent me, um, TikTok wise, those clips, she's crying in every single one of them, but there are no tears. It's she very, very Kyle Rittenhouse. Robin from Sister Wives. Robin from Sister Wives. She deadass looks like Amber Heard. She really does, and they look alike in general. Yeah, like, it's the first so thing weird. I said, I was like, "I'm going to start watching it." Ten minutes later, I'm like, "Wow, her face is like real animated." And yeah, it's because she fucking apparently hired the same acting coach as Amber yeah. Heard. Ooh, I saw a thing, and I didn't realize it, but like Amber Heard stole like a bunch of her testimony from movies, and um. Rihanna's interviews after Shut Chris Brown. The fuck oh my up. god, dude. They played them side by side. I'm not, I can't, I can't, I mean, like, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll watch that episode with George, but I can't, I can't watch her. Every time she talks, I'm just like. Your bullshit flag goes up. Um, so I sent you guys a, a thing, a link today. I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at it. Kid? Yeah, so in Texas, there had been a an Amber Alert for a seven year old. Apparently, she and her stepmom had gotten into an argument, and she uh, she had gone outside, and you know, stepmom let her cool down for like an hour. I think she probably was too. And in the meantime, um, a contract FedEx employee came to deliver something to the house and uh, took the child. And so they had had, like, a two-day oh, yes, Amber Alert yes. looking for her. Um, and today they uh, found her. I'm dead. They, um, they think that she died, like, within an hour of him taking her. She was only, like, Jesus. six miles from Was he, house. like, there to deliver a package mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just saw her? Snatched her. <gasps> um, so that happened. And then speaking of pedophiles... Big news in the true crime community this week as the, as um, Jared, oh, how do you say his last name? Whatchamacallit, uh, who was one of the co-founders of Adventures with Purpose. Oh, yes. Has been arrested and his, and I, the reason I found out about it, so, um, you know. I'm Jared with, Lasik? Yeah. So I have been working um with a lady and working on a story relating to her family and um adventures with purpose has come several times to where they live in Oregon to dive um for a missing person from her family and so she got to know them you know she's gotten to know them really well um and i had seen a post where she was like you know 
we stand with Doug Benson. Da, 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 da. I was like, you know, of Adventures with Purpose. And I was like, what is happening? And so that's how I found out about it and looked it up. And I, I was, was like, going to ask you. If so that's how. Okay. Doug was an, another. He was their lead diver. And her point was that, like, so all of these guys that worked on Adventures with Purpose are, I mean, they're just resigning left and right because of this. Wow. But they didn't know. This is something that happened when Jared was 16 and he, it was his cousin, was I think nine or ten at the time. The but, case was thrown. Someone what? was filming the case and they had to throw it. Adventures with Purpose, court rape case thrown after YouTubers illegally filmed the hearing. Oh, fuck. You mother, wow. <sighs> Utah's criminal rape against, criminal rape case against Adventures with Purpose founder Jared Lasik has been abruptly canceled because YouTubers streamed the proceedings live, which is against state law. Oh, my God. Um, so, anyway, this, so this happened in Utah. Um, he, on the show, has talked about his Mormon upbringing and, I, oh, and about it being traumatic. Um, but somebody got copies of text messages um, or emails or something back and forth between them where she was basically like, you know, you need to admit what you did. And he was like, you know, our our religion, our, our trauma growing up was, you know, like he he had basically admitted to it, but kind of brushed it off. Like, I'm sorry for anything that I did to you that are, you know, our joint mm-hmm. growing up, you know, oh my God. caused Fuck or off. And she was like, if you really are who you pretend to be now, like, go turn yourself in. Um, and of course, it didn't. But then those emails leaked. And I wonder was... who leaked the emails. I don't know. Hmm. The thing that makes me really sad is that, you know, all of these guys that were on the team, you know, resigned because Jared started it. Yeah. Um, and they don't want to be tied to that and don't support him or anything he does, which is totally understandable. But... What adventure, like, Adventures with Purpose wasn't just one guy. It was a whole team, and they did a lot of good, and it's disappointing. And, I mean, these guys just recently really blew up with that one case where they, you know, they located that missing girl. So, I don't know. That's That was just kind of a a big bummer. So, I think that's... I think that's the true crime news. I think so. Yeah, I think that was everything. Um, so barbarian. All so Lindsay saw it when it came out in the theater. Theater. Um, and then I watched it a few nights ago. Emily watched it today. Lindsay and I know what each other's thoughts are because I was, I had, I had opinions. Yeah. So if you've seen, haven't seen it, go. Yeah. Stop and watch it or whatever. Uh, it was a lot. It is. A lot. What are your thoughts? No, I want to hear your thoughts. What what do you want to know specifically? Just like your overall, like, if somebody said, hey, do you think I should watch it? Yes. Okay. I actually just told Brittany, I was like, it seems a little slow in the beginning at first because I get now how it was filmed and how they did. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know? Yeah. You look like you don't know what I mean. I don't. Like they filmed it in. They did like a prequel first. They did like the moment before, and then it's like if you haven't seen it, stop listening now. now. Yeah, too bad. Cut It was almost like the prequel to the actual story. Sort right, of. Yeah, like right. I thought Bill Skarsgård was gonna have a 
much bigger part. Yeah. My God, that shook me Which to my core. Which was like, you know, yeah, when he died, I was like, okay. Yeah. That's... Well, because they definitely, and now here's the thing. I figured he wasn't the guy because they, it seemed like they were trying very hard to make you creeped out by him because he was a little bit creepy. He was like, no, really, drink the wine. No, really, really, Do you want drink tea? the wine. Do you want tea? Do you want tea? Do you want tea? Do you want tea? I'll Do you make it tea? in front of you. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> But that's I, how I talk to a stranger. But I, like, do you want to watch? I'll do it. Like, I'm not going to drive you. Well, and that, you know, I, I'm the same way as I would have been like, I, I promise. Like, I'm sounding really weird, but I promise I'm not. Yeah. Um, I, the main thing I was surprised about um, Bill Skarsgård is because I love Al- Alexander. Like, I think he's yes. so hot. Yes. And they all look so different. I'm like, are you guys all really? Really? Yeah. It's so bizarre. Especially the, Vi- the guy who was in the yeah. Vikings show. But um, but I will say, you know, the things that I've seen him in previously were it. Um, obviously, as Pennywise, he's yeah. terrifying. Um, and then uh, Castle Rock. Oh, where he also. was also oh. where he was also sort of terrifying looking. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, this is the first and then there was like a really weird um where are they from? Sweden? Yeah. It was a Swedish movie. <laughs> it was Sweden or No, yeah, it's Sweden, I think. But uh I the main thing is I was just surprised how cute he was. <laughs> I, was I like, first wow, saw have, did you ever hear of Hemlock Grove? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's where I first saw him. So I was already like, but then, you know, it ruins everything. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. What did you think of the ending? I mean, you know, Justin Long is never going to make it to the end. And also, fuck that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I was really just waiting God. for him to die. When he throws her over the fucking like and balcony, like, oh, and time. then at the end, he's like, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry." Oh my God! Every five minutes, Michael's like, "Justin Long is the fucking worst." And I'm like, "I know <laughs> yeah. you do not want to have his ass with you when no. the shit no. is going down." No, I I was real mad. I was real mad at Justin Long because I because at first I was like, "Oh God, he just you know he got me too." And I and then it was like, "Oh no, he really is a creepy rapist." Yeah. Okay. Okay, all right, so you're you're a shitbag. Yeah. And one of the things that I said to Lindsay was that I thought it was, you know, there's this moment of hypocrisy when he's looking at, you know, creepy kidnap raper guy in the mm-hmm. bed, and he's like, what the fuck's wrong with you? And I'm like, you're no better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You are also a mm-hmm. rapist, mm-hmm. you dick. And, you know, and so... Um, I was really rooting for him. I, Lindsay can attest that I was no oh, rooting for him to die. Oh, okay, yes, I was like, no, I was really well. rooting for yeah. him. And yeah. Lindsay can attest for him to die. <laughs> I was just like, it took a lot for me not to say anything too because I just oh, yeah. wanted to say. But then when uh, when mother, God, mother again, when um, when he goes the way of your Pablo. Pascal, Game of Thrones. So much is happening. Oh, eyeballs. Oh, when he, she, the creature. Literally rips his head. The half. creature, like. She, she, she. Squishes his eyeballs. Squishes his eyeballs. Like yeah. in Game of Thrones, right? Isn't that? Yeah. I think so, yeah. I forgot. Um, when I first saw her on the screen, I fully asked Michael if that's what I look like. When I have to come back to bed after being. I was like, "Is that just all you see?" And she's just standing there like this with just tits hanging out. Is that what you see in the middle of the night when I have to take a piss? He's like, "Yes." Um, I have different thoughts now about it, so I want to hear. The cop where... scene drove me a little bit batty. Um, well, but I thought that that's. I mean, definitely that's very pretty true accurate for that area. So I, I was, I was real mad. 
at uh, the main girl because I'm like, you dumb. Don't go back for him. Get out. Yeah. Get out of there. I would not, I would have, you know, but then I was like, well, I would have gone and gotten the cops and then said, you know, dude's back here at this house. And then that's exactly what she did. And the cops <laughs> didn't believe her and thought, you know, she's Okay, crackhead. but Justin Long, here was my other thought. Justin Long had his phone the whole time. And when she's like, does anyone know you're down here? And he's like, no. Why didn't you just call like the rental company that you called when you first got there? When he's like, why is everyone shit here? Be like, hey, can someone fucking come but here? Would, I just found someone's shit and there's an open, creepy ass doorway. But dollway? would they? Dollway, but dollway. would they? Because she was not helpful with Justin and she didn't yeah. answer her uh, like call. Yeah, and both of them left their phones upstairs when they went down into the basement. Like he had a knife and a flashlight. So I don't know. Yeah, but he, he went back down with his phone. He specifically had his phone in his hand. He was like holding it like this, and the lady like shows up in the hallway. It's because he grabbed his tape measure. Remember? So he, like, sees the room. The room with the mattress and the blood and shit. And then immediately he goes. Right. But he was like. It shows him on his laptop going how much square foot. Oh, I know. But, like, I would call a realtor. I wouldn't go down there by my damn self. Oh, no, I wouldn't have either. But I'd be like, oh, my God. So this is the whole point of the movie is what I realized is men can barrel through anything. They don't worry about that. They don't think this. We as women do. So that yeah, whole beginning that with true. her. He just saw it as an opportunity. Oh, I'll fix like, it. Don't you worry. Yeah. Don't worry. I'll and get he, it. You know, and he's like, oh, this is extra square footage. And then the more and more he found, he just kind of kept going. And, you know, was it Keith or Kevin? Keith. When Keith, you know, when she comes, you know, upstairs and she's like, wrote, oh, my God, there's this room. He's this, like. I wrote notes about that. You know, he's like, it's like he doesn't believe her. But. I'll get to my last point. Um, The thing that made me mad and the thing that I really disliked about it is the fact that they made the mother the bad guy in the movie. Because this is a character who is a product of rape, incest, kidnapping, Mm -hmm. and who had no... It's very Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, and I just, but I mean, like, it's not mother's fault that she was down there. I would not have allowed her to take me back to that basement either, right? Or that tunnel dungeon at the end. Um, So I understand why the lead girl kills her. Well, she but it puts her out of her mid, like. Well, it's a that, I mean that. I mean that too. She had just fallen off of a water tower and then been well, no, but like, what, on. like her life. But her life is over now because that house is so fucked. People are gonna be like, "Oh, what happened?" Well, and yeah, and they're gonna find the tunnel and that, they're gonna find her. That too, and, like, and I mean. You know, in the end, she really does save the main character. But the last part where she, like, kisses her and, like... Oh, that's a bummer. Like, I was just, like... That's a bummer. You know, and so I think... So, I I don't know. I feel like they could have done more to make her more of a... More of a savior and less of a creature, I guess. But wouldn't that make it not a horror movie? Well, no, so I No, I mean, just to the end. This whole thing, the... Listening to... I listened to this, um podcast about it and they really brought up stuff i didn't think about so the book the director creator writer read this book called the art of fear and it's like how your body gives you your natural reactions to being scared of something or like red flags or Mm -hmm. so he was like i want to write a whole scene where there is every single red flag and like what happens with that and that's the whole beginning scene with tess in the car like 
asking Bill Skarsgård all of these questions, mm-hmm. wanting to see proof, not believing it, but kind of believing in like mm-hmm. all the things as women have to go through. Mm-hmm. And then I think they say it in it like if if things were flipped, would you have just I mean he was more walked- than happy to let her come in and Stay yeah, but he and, was like, would you worry, like, I'm worrying about that you might hurt me, you right. might. And he was like, no. So then, like, in the, I think with Justin is they introduced a whole different kind of monster that's very pretty on the outside. But the true, true monster of that movie is Justin Long. It, yeah, that is true. That God, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, so it's like, I... It was really, it was just really interesting podcast. It's like, oh, I get it all now. Well, I mean, like, the true monster is the guy who started it. Right. All. Right. But he's no different. Yes, Justin, they're the same fucking person. Yeah. Yeah. And also, the mother only was aggressive with Justin. Because he's a fucking idiot. And Keith. She didn't do right. that straight she to Tess. No, she, she put like, she put Tess she put Tess in the She put little... her in her crib, I feel like. Yeah. Put her in her playpen. Justin Long was driving me so crazy when she's like, just drink from the bottle and he's like, oh, 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 oh. like just fucking yeah. listen. And yeah. that's again that shows you like women, we will fucking do what we need to like, do to oh survive and God. men will just Oh, I usually sure. I have thought for my whole life what I would do in that situation and I I mean not maybe not that specific situation. But if I was down in the creepy basement. But I mean like thinking about like, okay, if I was kidnapped, would I fight back or would I go along with it? Okay, well it would depend on the person who kidnapped me. Yeah. Are they like aggressive? Or do they seem like like does it seem like I can get away with being polite to them enough to get away? Or like yes. am I gonna have to kick and scream mm-hmm. yep. and make a scene. Yeah. So that I now I'm I like that movie. Now I like Barbarian. Yeah, I you know I I was pissed when I at the end when I first saw because I was like, what the fuck? This is not there why wasn't there this or why wasn't it written? Like, why wasn't there more? But it's all on purpose. Looking back, it's all on right. purpose. No, I I and like you're like, oh, okay. I get, I, I, get this I agree with you. Like, I really hated Justin's long char- Justin Long's character. Yeah. But when you said he's the real monster of the movie, I'm like, oh my God, he is the real monster mm-hmm. of the movie. And that does reframe the entire thing. Because in the moment the, when I first watched it, I was just like, I can't believe you're taking somebody who is a victim yeah. and making them the villain of the story. Yeah. But then I like, I was watching it last night or we watched it. Yeah. And but I did that. I made her the villain of the story. I oh, assumed that's that true. she was the villain of the yeah. story. Yeah. Well, I mean, because it's a horror movie. Right. And because and she, she looks, looks like, like she a, looks. a horror person. Yeah. Oh. Me at three o'clock in the yeah. morning. Yeah. Like a meal. <laughs> Tits a flopping. Man. <laughs> Tits flopping. Remember who you are. Remember Again, you are. and what you represent. Yeah. Um, subscribe to us. If I send you emails, I promise I send them all myself so you don't get any spam. It's all things I've typed out. It's There's true. no weird. I'm it's not going to sell your information. No, no. No. It's all just, just new. I send you news. I just such. send new episode releases and ma- if there's an update. That's all. And so. merch. And, if we and merch. So. Um, and uh, tell them that if they do sign up. They will get 10% off their first merch order. Yeah. Follow us. Go to our link tree in our show notes. Yes, please. We love you. Oh, my God. This is our last 
Oh, Potentially the last recording of the year. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy New Year. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy holidays. Happy yeah, but by this time, all included. But by this time this comes out, isn't it going to be coming out in January? Happy fucking New Year, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> Happy fucking New Year. Happy January. Happy January. Just now we recorded it. It's Isn't it so nice that we're in 2023 now? Um, but we love all of you so much. We love you. Thanks. Love you. Goodbye. We love you. Bye-bye. 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 Night-night. 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 Thanks for listening to this episode. Visit our link tree in our show notes for quick links to our socials, email, merch, and to stay up to date with all things Threes of Crime. And don't forget to visit Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Hey, weirdlings. Have you ever listened to a podcast and thought, man, I could do this? Well, guess what? That's exactly what we did. And you can too. Podcasting is a fun, inexpensive, and easy way to expand your reach online. Whether you have a message that you want to share with the world, just think having your own talk show would be cool, or you're looking for a new marketing or revenue stream, Buzzsprout has you covered. We can confirm that they're hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed on all of the major podcast directories within minutes of finishing your recording. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping all of us succeed. Join 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout, and let's get your message out to the world. If you're ready to get started on your podcast, follow the link in our show notes and you'll get a $20 Amazon gift card and it helps support our show too. So what are you waiting for? Start your new podcast today.